Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at the Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. Hi Ria, awesome to see you. And my God, I'm so, 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 so excited. Our podcast is out of the closet. We've shared it with people. Yay, finally! Yeah, I can't believe that we waited for so long to actually share anything, but I feel like, you know, what now we have a track record, like now we are serious privacy professionals, now we have a podcast, you have a website, so. Yeah, it it feels awesome. And I guess, as you mentioned before that, it started off us just meeting for e-coffee and chatting about interesting uh, GDPR stuff, being grumpy. And then we just decided, why don't we just test record this to see how it goes? And that was actually how it all went down. Yeah, exactly. You know, two typical privacy professionals just going like, you know what, let's record ourselves and see you know, how that <laughs> pans out. <laughs> you know, but, uh, jokes aside, I think that, you know, the last episode was so exciting. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, I mean, school and kids and lawfulness of processing and Google and transfers and everything. Um, you can hear, probably. <laughs> I'm very enthused. And uh, it seems like that that previous episode was just the beginning of something awesome. It seems that we will continue discussing it, potentially with some guests, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Oh, yes, we will. Next week we have guests, which is uh, so exciting and a bit uh, frightening because we hope that all the tech will work. But uh, we're just going to dive in and see how it goes. Yeah. And and, and I have to say the last podcast, it blew up. So that was uh, so interesting to see and and get the feedback from various people and uh, see the um, same grumpy, uh, enthusiastic uh, people out there as well. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. You know, I always thought that everybody working with the GDPR was, you know, perpetually in love with all of its features. And uh, it's very nice to know that actually, you know, we're not the only two people thinking, wait, not everything here makes sense. <laughs> Which is a perfect segue because today we're talking about case that makes little sense to me. It's your favorite topic, data protection officers. And there was a recent court of justice ruling, no less, concerning a relationship between German employment law and uh, the GDPR provisions on DPO employment. You always do fantastic case summaries. I always feel very bad for asking you to give summaries, but you just do it so well that I have to ask you. Would you mind just uh, telling our audience a bit about the case? Not at all. And I love reading the cases from the Court of Justice. I don't know what it's about the GDPR, but it just triggers something and I find it so incredibly fascinating. So I love the chance to get to really read through not only the rulings, but even the opinions. And usually you would find so many golden nuggets in the opinions as well. So I recommend everybody to take a peek at that as well. So this case, that was the ruling was, so this was, uh, the opinion was actually from January this year. And then the ruling, I believe, came in June. So it is pretty new, actually. And it followed after a uh, private company. So they had someone in in their legal department that they uh, appointed as DPO. Shortly thereafter, they restructured the company. And they uh, outsourced all the legal functions of the company, including the DPO role. She was not very happy about that, so she lodged a complaint which ultimately led to the Court of Justice to go through the um, 
Article 38.2 on the dismissal or penalties for DPOs. And uh, the result here is, uh, is pretty interesting. So uh, what about you just uh, revisiting what you initially started with? Yes, absolutely. So let's um, let's take it one step at a time. I think, um, you know, first off the bat, I have to say I completely disagree with you. If there is one thing I don't like, it's reading Court of Justice uh, judgments. I think that they're just written in such a convoluted way. And this is not, you know, everybody should understanding understand this stuff. No, I don't buy into that either. But yeah, I do agree so in that. Yeah. You know, God bless American courts. They, you know, they take all of your fundamental freedoms away, but at least they write really well. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, that aside, uh, that, uh, you know, when you look at the surface of this case, it seems like a very technical legal question focusing on German law. And uh, there are many very highly technical questions referred from Germany. So the real question was whether or not in addition to the GDPR standard, which is that data protection officers can't be penalized or dismissed for doing their jobs, more or less, if a member state could introduce additional protections. For example, that DPO can't be dismissed easily, even if they are not dismissed for doing their DPO duties. And I think that this is you know, a very good question to ask. Can member states offer more protections to the DPO than the GDPR itself? And I can also see where this is coming from, because um, uh, I think the Advocate General observed this, uh, that whenever you fire someone, you're not going to write, I'm firing you because of your tasks as a DPO. So it's very good that national law sets these standards. So yes, Court of Justice basically said, you know what, if you want to make it more difficult to fire DPOs on a national level, go ahead. Like, feel free to do that, as long as you're not infringing on the GDPR provisions on keeping the DPOs. So or other sound- EU law. Yeah, exactly. So I think it sounds, you know, very dry, but I think it definitely has some interesting implications. It, uh, I think the Court of Justice definitely takes this stance that DPOs enjoy a privileged role. And I think that uh, this is just the first wave of such legislation, which seems to be very DPO supportive and which we find on national levels. But what do you think about it? Does it make sense from, you know, if you look at it from both sides, like as a DPO or as a company? Because there are clearly, you know, upsides and downsides to everything. And here I think it's a balancing act. I think it's a tricky one because I absolutely see the reason why you need to protect the role of a DPO. That is such a challenging role to be in so many times, especially, you know, when marketing comes up with some new amazing new tech that they want to implement in all apps on websites, etc. So you really need to reinforce the independence of the DPO and allow them to actually perform their tasks. On the other hand, I'm just slightly worried that this type of ruling will deter more people from actually appointing DPOs, which is absolutely recommended by the, that was back in the Working Party 29's guidelines for DPOs, uh, the CNIL, the French Data Protection Authority, they continuously repeat their recommendation for everyone to appoint a DPO, of which I absolutely strongly disagree. And I think we have to do a separate uh, podcast episode on on, uh, should you appoint a DPO or not. 
because that is a, a huge topic in itself. But let's just say that the general recommendation is uh, to appoint a DPO. But if this is the risk that you would never get rid of them, why would somebody do that, especially voluntarily? Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a very fair question to ask. I think that appointing a DPO can be perceived as a risk at this stage. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, you can hire someone, just don't call them a DPO, just don't give them the official status. And I think the management is always going to look at it more or less the same. Because let's be real, I think that um, you need to do a lot of awareness raising before the management actually starts understanding the DPO role as anything else than, you know, this is this person who is going to fix the GDPR for us. So I think that um, actually expecting them to just be like, you know what, we might never be able to fire this person, but that's okay. No, it's going to be a risk factor, definitely, moving on, as perceived by the management. But I think also we can't overlook the link here to the national law, because in general, it's difficult to fire people in, for example, Norway, right? So I think that um, the Court of Justice does leave one possibility, which is that you can fire a DPO, obviously, if they're not qualified or they don't perform their tasks. Um, Do you think it would be easy? Because I can see it as being easy to fire somebody for being not qualified to be a DPO, right? I mean, what's an employer going to do? They'll give you tests. That's such a great question, because how will you actually determine that? In some cases, I, I guess it it's pretty straightforward. And from uh, the DPO guidelines, they say that uh, a DPO could still be dismissed legitimately for reasons other than for performing his or her tasks as a DPO. For instance, in case of theft, physical, psychological or sexual harassment or similar gross min- misconduct. So I guess some cases would be pretty straightforward, but other cases... Uh, where it relates to their expertise, because that is another reason for dismissal, right? That if you're not even qualified, and how do you as the employer assess that, and especially for an external DPO? As you say, uh, will they give you tests, or how Mm. would they find out if you're not qualified? And you have to balance that as well with another really key uh, element of the uh, articles on the DPO articles in the GDPR, where you are actually required to ensure that the DPO keeps qualified on an ongoing basis. Well, that's that's actually a great point, because... and. I'm going to preface this with my, you know, usual disclaimers. I know nothing about labor law, as I say before, like I'm not a psychologist and so forth. But um, I think in Norwegian labor law specifically, if it turns out that somebody doesn't have all the qualifications they need, you still have this duty to kind of help them out, to try to, you know, get them to do their best, basically to onboard them and so forth, which is like, okay, so you hire a DPO, they don't know how to do their job and then you still have this duty to actually help them give them resources try to get them which all of this sounds you know very 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 nice it's a right thing to do but just from the business side of things i think it's um you know it it does sound a bit scary and the presumption of qualification is always going to be in their favor right i mean you can just say yeah here is this person who has five years of experience with data protection wrote their whatever articles and this did this like how do you prove that yeah, very interesting. Um, but you mentioned the recommendations and uh, guidelines. Do you think that they um, actually favor DPOs too much? 
I think they also mentioned that it is recommended to appoint a DPO in uh, in any circumstance. Uh, again, which I really fundamentally disagree with because if you do, let's say you have a small business, uh, less than 30 employees, and uh, you don't have billions in revenue, would it make financial sense to appoint an actual DPO who has to be independent? What do you do uh, in a small company with three people? Who's going to be the fully independent DPO? Practically, it's it cannot be done for the smallest organizations and businesses. And for the slightly bigger one, but still tiny businesses, I don't think it makes financial sense to have that uh, particular role in the company that needs to be independent in anything that has to do with the personal data processing, right? Mm. No, definitely. For smaller organizations, it makes no sense. I also think, you know, you can debate a lot about when you actually have a duty to to hire a DPO, what constitutes systematic monitoring, large scale and everything there. I think that, you know, there have been some strange interpretations of those terms. But I think looking into the DPO role, I think you just have to have this baseline of trust between the company and the DPO. From the DPO's side, the company is not going to fire them. From the company's side, the DPO is not going to abuse this independence and abuse this privileged status. Because if you look into the guidelines, I think that they say something along the lines of, um, so an example of mistreating a DPO uh, would be not giving them promotion or preventing their career advancements when promoting other people or even just threatening not to give them certain opportunities without actually uh, following up with a threat. All of that sounds reasonable in a certain context, but in another one, you know, what's going to stop someone from saying, oh yeah, you know, uh, head of legal got a 15% salary bump, I didn't get it, is it because, hashtag is, is it because I'm a DPO? So I just think that the trust between a DPO and company solves this. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I heard this awful example from uh, from one of my clients that he knew of a German company that had been stuck with their external DPO for, hang on, 12 years. <laughs> it's it's ludicrous. They can't get rid of him. And it's, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed because I act as an external DPO and I can't imagine a situation where I would actually force people for 12 years to work with me. So one thing is what your right might be. Another thing is, are you willing to destroy your own reputation in the market to leverage that right? Are you willing to uh, to have that that must be such a hardworking relationship if they really want to dismiss him, but they can't because of German law. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that position, either for the organization or for that person. Like, I cannot picture being in a situation where, like, you actively know that people don't want you there, but you still come to work. Like, yeah, but, you know, that's a personal decision at the end of the day. But just the fact that you can have a legal framework in which these things happen is um, pretty astounding. But again, I think this is primarily a national labor law type of thing. And I don't think all of this comes from the GDPR. I think actually, you know, maybe this has been interpreted too broadly. Maybe the guidelines, perhaps even the court, although not very openly so, have read too much into the GDPR because GDPR at the end of the day just says, you can't punish them if they do something related to the DPO role. So maybe it's just yeah. going too far. 
And again, the intention of uh, going from a directive to a regulation is to ensure similar implementation across the EEA. And this again would be uh, create differences between the member states. So it would pose another challenge for those offering, for example, external DPO services, because there is another threshold to be made in terms of assessing every national market of the clients where you serve as an external DPO, if they are in several member states. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just afraid this is going to be one of those things uh, that just keeps, you know, adding to the bad GDPR pile of things that, you know, the management is, or even regular people, like, they will not be able to kind of uh, accept this as the reality under the GDPR. And I'm very much afraid that by now there are so many different obligations, including things related to the DPO's employment, that perhaps that core vision of the GDPR of actually protecting the data, and as you point out, harmonizing, it's just going to disappear. I mean, if I have to explain to my grandmother, you know, why she can't do her crosswords online because of Shams 2 and foreign surveillance, like, you know, and then you have to explain to a company why they can't hire or sorry, fire someone because, uh, oh, well, they do happen to work with the GDPR in a DPO role. It's, yeah. it's becoming... And, yeah. and again, you have all these companies that actually are trying to do the right thing. And this is, I feel another way of punishing those who are actually trying. So they went out of their way, they appointed a DPO voluntarily, and now they can't get rid of the individual. Uh, or they can, but it is extremely costly. It takes time, it takes resources, it takes mental capacity. So I don't think that maybe this ruling does, it, does us any favors in a time where we have so many challenges in this space already. Yeah, yeah, I fully, fully actually agree with that observation. And I think, you know, another example, uh, because we have quite a few examples today of like unfortunate situations like that. Uh, did I read correctly? I don't know if I may be misunderstood, but it seems that um, EDPS uh, has this framework where for a DPO role in an EU institution, uh, you have to enter into at least three to five year contract as a DPO to be given you know, enough stability in a DPO role. And you can only be fired with consent of EDPS. Um, if I read it correctly, understood it correctly, because once again, not really uh, fully caught up on uh, that particular regulation. But if that's true, I mean, can you imagine you have to have someone for at least three years and you can't fire them without another organization's consent? It's just... Wow. Yeah, this is for the EU institutions and bodies. And I guess uh, this uh, three to five year rule is pretty common in the public sector. Um, the consent from the EDPS, I'm not sure why they found it important to add that, that they don't trust institutions to manage that themselves. So I just find uh, it very odd, but perhaps there's a reason around it. Perhaps some of our listeners know. So please do uh, let us know if you know the reason behind the EDPS consent for firing a DPO in the <laughs> EU institutions and bodies, that is. True, that would be fantastic. Um, I don't know. I think that a DPO role is always going to be challenging. And I think that as a DPO, you have to think about many things. You should not be adding, you know, um, the management's paranoia about not being able to fire you to that list. You have to cultivate the trust. 
But I don't think I have much more to say on that particular case. What I have to say is that the Court of Justice is super busy. And I think that uh, Germany has referred another set of cases relating exactly to the same question. So perhaps we will get some even more interesting answers next time. Oh, wow. I look forward. Uh, We have uh, this huge project ahead of us that we already started reading through all of these Court of Justice rulings. So uh, we have some busy weeks ahead of us. And we hope to share a lot of these insights on this podcast as well. Absolutely. Looking forward to the next time. Me too. See you next time.